can't face tomorrow Because he lives Oh, fear is gone Because I know He holds the future Worth the living Just cause he lives God sent his son Mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, yes, yes, yes Welcome to the Pillars of Smoke podcast My name is Sam And I'm Mag Oof And you just heard Reverend Cleophis Robinson Oh, yeah, of Missouri Of Missouri Oh, Reverend man. Cleophis Robinson singing the good old hymn. The good old hymn. Because he lives. I can so, face tomorrow. So Sam and I thought that it would be proper. Proper. Very proper to jump into a little bit of because he lives, just because this very week is Easter, Easter week. That's right. Give it up for Easter week. Give it up for Jesus. Come on. He's alive. The he grave is, is empty. Oh yeah! Just to let y'all know, uh, today is the first day we have ever heard of Reverend Cleophas Robinson. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, that I can recall. I've never heard of him. I'm sure I've heard him mentioned here and there, but never really like tuned into his music. Right. Till today. But that's just powerful. I mean, if you're gonna listen to one of Cleophas's songs. Go listen to that one. That's the one that we need to listen to, bro. Oh, absolutely. That song was fire, fire. Oh, man. Man, That really really kind of paves the way for a lot of gospel artists, too. Oh, absolutely. Because he's been been doing gospel since the 50s. Mm -hmm. He's passed Mm -hmm. now, but. I'm pretty sure that that there is some inspiration um, that he inspired, probably like Bill Gaither. Oh, And a lot of those guys like Guy Penrod and... uh, Possibly even like David Phelps, which me personally, that's my favorite gospel singer mm. of all time, David Phelps. I mean, if you're ever going to listen to, especially during the Christmas time, Oh Holy Night by David Phelps, that's it. Like, forget about it. Forget about it. Well, I grew up I grew up with the Winans in the house. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a good one. BB and CC Winan. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So, Mag. Yes, sir. Well, let's, 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 let's recap this week real quick. This week has been Holy Week. Yep. Palm Sunday. That's right. Today is Maundy Thursday. What is it? Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday. That's right. Maundy Thursday. If you don't know what that is, this is uh, the Thursday that Jesus uh, knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. Yeah. Showing servant leadership, yep. servanthood. Uh, and then this evening, well, not this evening, but now at midnight would be around the time that he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane about right. to be betrayed That's right. and handed over to the uh, the high priests. The Romans. And, and the, the Romans high, and, yeah. and the, the governor yeah. and Pilate and beaten and bruised and whipped and <sighs> later tomorrow crucified. Yeah. But Sunday. But Sunday is a coming. Sunday's coming. That's some Lockridge, my brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oof. But Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. And it's beautiful because it's 
I love that we are. Uh, I love that this uh, little heresy series, yeah, that we're doing lined up with, with Easter. Easter, absolutely, because it really kind of like, okay, well, if these heresies are quote unquote true to those people who follow them, do y'all still celebrate Easter? Just like, what's your point of? No, for sure. What's the point of Easter if you're a heretic and right. you don't believe in the deity of Christ or? Mm-hmm. Like today, you think that he was just a moralistic human being. Right. Oh, and even, even with the, the resurrection and, uh, and, and Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, I mean, if you don't believe in the Trinity, then who is he praying to? Oof. I mean, who, where's the power that raised it's, him from the dead? Dude, I mean, it's just so much. Like, it's so much. It all lines up and... I, I believe that scripture is perfectly congruent with the, with itself, and and it, it, it's inerrant, infallible. Yeah, it's inerrant, it's infallible. Which that's funny enough, it it goes along with our topic today. Absolutely. But then, it's self-explanatory. Like it it, it can use itself to explain itself. And so it does. It does. Quite Absolutely, often. it does. Absolutely quite it often. Does. Absolutely, it does. There's actually a book that I've been really wanting to read, and I keep pushing it off because I don't. I don't know what it is, but every time I really want to read a really dense book having to do with like theology or doctrine or something in, in regards to that, sure, it's always in the middle of the semester or when yeah. I'm about to start a semester yeah. and I'm like, I don't have the time to read that yeah. book right now. Uh, but one of, the, one of the books that I've been dying to read for years now is um, D.A. Carson's uh, Old Testament Use in the New Testament. I like that. And where he's literally just pinpointing every single instance yeah. where the old testament is being used and interpreted and preached in the new testament and it's phenomenal wow. that sounds amazing like but it's such a dense book d.a carson man he's such oh, a gangster I love that man he's so good if you ever want to have your brain turned into mush uh go listen to one of d.a carson's lectures uh he is not he is a scholastic theologian yeah uh he's not necessarily a pastor Maybe he did at one point. I'm not sure. I don't think he ever did. I think he's always just been a scholastic theologian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that man, like you'd need to sit down with like a dictionary and a thesaurus to listen to one of his lectures. So um, there's two books by Carson that I really enjoyed. Both of them are actually textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't think we're nerds, uh, now you know. There, There's two textbooks. The first one is... Uh, Introduction to the New Testament. That's a really good one. By him Car- and Moo. Him and Moo, yeah. Carson and Moo. And uh, Letter to the Romans. Ooh. Brother. Letter to the Romans. Letter to the Romans was... So like a commentary? Yeah, him and Carson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Carson and Moo. Uh, well, it's more Douglas Moo mm-hmm. than, uh, than Carson. Than Carson. Uh, even though he does... He there are a lot of excerpts from Carson mm-hmm. in that book mm-hmm. just because they're, they're both great friends and all right. that. So, and if you want something a little lighter by Carson, more of on a, on a devotional point for yourself to go through daily devotion, he has a, uh, a couple volumes of a book called for the love of God. Oh, that's a good one. And it's, yeah, that's very it's good. very, very good. I've gone through it a couple of times. Yeah. Good, um, good light read, good light read by Carson. Yep. It's not something that goes over your head. He made it specifically for, daily devotional and it kind of tracks you through the bible in a year if you really want to or if not two years uh but 
We digress. Yes. So, today, we are going into liberalism. Oh, my goodness. Liberalism. This is a big... This is a really, really big one. That a big plays, topic. It plays more into your daily life yes. than you would know. You know what's funny is that as I was preparing for this, and I'm, I'm reading on theological liberalism and all these things, there were many instances where I really had to check myself. Yeah. And oh, yeah. There were moments where I was like, "Do I? I've done this. Yes. I've done this. And I've... Like, crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is this is definitely going to be an interesting one. Oh, definitely. Good conversation. Very good for, conversation. Not only for a podcast, but between you and your friends. If you're hanging out, if you're talking, you're discussing stuff after young adults, after small group, uh, after students or, or whatnot, this is a great discussion to have. It's theological liberalism. And so what is theological liberalism? And it's the belief that scripture is not inerrant or infallible. infallible. And this should not be, um, this should not in any way be cons uh, confused with political liberalism. Even though that there are some strands that, that do tie into political, political liberalism. Right, they do kind of connect sometimes. They, they are, there are connecting uh, vines here, but it's not rooted in political um, and political liberalism. So if you like think that. that we're about to talk about politics, we're, we're not. We're not going to talk about politics. We it's promise. not a political. This is not going to be a, a political episode. Not this one. Not this one. <laughs> maybe in the future. Eh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep the church and state here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll separate. separate. We'll separate church separate and state church here, guys. Uh, so liberalism, man. Sam, tell us a little bit about liberalism, man. Tell oh, us about um, its origins, its roots. What, what, where, where does, where did this whole thing really start? So uh, this really starts in the Enlightenment period in okay. the fifteen and sixteen hundreds. Okay. Uh, so you know the Enlightenment period starts coming up, and people really start looking at rational thought mm -hmm. uh, and processes. It's kind of it's also a shift in philosophy at that time too. Because uh, up until then, philosophy's always been about thinking outside the box and really just pondering questions and pond and like continuing on in, in thought processes and understanding how things work in the, in the greater scheme of things. Uh, where liberalism really changes, or rather the Enlightenment period really does change all of that uh, because it no longer looks at... Uh, you know, fact that no longer looks at historical context, that no longer looks at, you no know, what has scripture. It no longer looks at scripture. It no longer looks at anything that has been proven in the past. Sure. Like it completely throws history, scripture, like actual events out the window. Yeah. And what enlightenment really looked at was just, uh, to give you a really good definition here, it rejected external sources of knowledge and substituted subjective autonomy of human reason or experience. Wow. So it really looked at like, well, this makes sense to me more than what this book is actually defining this to be. This is what I'm going to believe then. Right, right. So it's taking your own thought and saying, it's taking your own thought and your own opinion and saying, this is fact. Right. That's... There is there there's an interesting point here, where the earliest um, expression of of uh, 
of the liberalizing Christianity was rooted in the Polish Rakovian Catechism in 1605, where, check this out, Unitarian beliefs, <laughs> which replaced the traditional doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. This is where it started to, to really take root, this whole uh, liberalism kind of thing. And let's, let's toss the baby with the bathwater here. Right. Let's get rid of the Trinity because we don't understand it. The second that we get rid of the Trinity, it's, okay, we can do whatever we want with Scripture. Exactly. So whatever we don't like, whatever we don't align with, whatever doesn't suit our our interpretation or our presuppositions that we carry into the faith from, from before we were believers, now, um, now we can toss other portions of Scripture out. Right. Out the door. So it's so it's interesting. If, I mean, if we look at like the actual root word of liberalism, it's liberal, mm-hmm. and that is that is the idea of being open to new ideas, uh, willing to respect or accept behavior or opinions different from one's own, open to new ideas, uh, and just really kind of, yeah, well, that works. Sure, why not? Let's go with that now. Let's sure. go with this now. Let's go with that now. And you can kind of see that in you know. I, I know it said we weren't going to go political, but just in like, sure, sure, sure. Like just for, just for sake of example, like you can see that with liberal opinions. Well, no, this happens. It's part of it though. Oh, absolutely. It's part of it. So, it, you know, when, when liberals are really out here trying to say, live your truth. Li- yeah. Live your truth. And then, you know, truth is subjective. Um, you know, we need to start winding down the whole thing with the church. Mm-hmm. Start, you know, throw throw out there whatever uh, liberal ideology you've heard. This is all rooted in this idea where your truth or your way of thinking is superior to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And this is what theological liberalism is, is that you know better than God. And in turn, what that ends up doing is that it actually breaks down the authority of God's Word. Oh, 100%. Like 100%. So, so, so if you're now looking at, well, you know, scripture says that I shouldn't do this, but I don't really see that ever happening in my life and I've never experienced it. And I don't know anyone that has ever experienced this thing. So I'm not going to abide by that item, but I'll abide by everything else. Sure. Like that liberal point of thought is saying, God, I don't care what you said in your word. I'm going to do what I want anyways. You know, the, what, what <coughs> theological liberals love to do is they like to hang on to First uh, John four eight God is love, oh. but they completely ignore First John one five where it says God is light. Mm. So they 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 reduce the they, they they reduce the scriptures to whatever suits their own ideology, their own presuppositions for mm-hmm. that particular moment, for that particular idea, for you know for that particular lifestyle. Mm. So that's what that's what's going on with theological liberalism. So a really big proponent of this was a man by the name of uh, Emmanuel Kant. Mm-hmm. Kant, K A N T. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Thanks for uh, clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make sure no one gets that twisted, Emmanuel Kant. Uh, he articulated a revolutionary view of knowledge which made mankind autonomous in their knowing. So right. he did such things as uh, uh, he detached reason from faith regardless of its background. Sure. So it's like, okay, well, the Protestant and the Catholic Church has believed these things for so long and has held to these doctrines that are within Scripture. Mm-hmm. 
I don't believe those doctrines to be true. I don't think that actually has to do anything with my faith. So he kind of took like the Nicene Creed. Right. Threw it out the window. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He took the Anastasian Creed. Let me threw a- it out the window. Let me ask you a question. What did he do with original sin? <laughs> Immanuel Kant, 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 uh, Kant has this idea with original sin. Oh, Sam, man. tell us a little bit okay, about that. So with Immanuel Kant, he really kind of took uh, Christianity and simmered it down to just being a moralistic way of being for yourself. Like right. there was no, there was no relationship with God anymore. There was no relationship with Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit no longer had any type of work in someone's life. Yeah, because they threw the Trinity out the right, window in 1605. The tr- exactly. So if they threw, the, if he threw the Trinity out in 1605 along with everyone else, then in, then in his eyes, it's well, you know, the Bible is just a way of learning how to live good. Right. How can I be a good human being according to scripture? Uh, <laughs> I want to live a good life. I'm a good person. Oh, geez. So then what he does is uh, he took the fall of Adam and Eve. And instead of calling it sin, uh, what he did here was he says that Adam didn't necessarily sin. He subverted his morals right so so instead of calling sin sin it's now well i'm going to disregard my morals for a second and do what i want to do and then go back to my morals right and it's like that and it's and then and then on top of that it's it's once you do that there is no such thing as original sin anymore and everyone kind of falls into this thing of subverting their morals so you're either you know, one day you're over your morals and then one day you're under your morals. And it's just, that's the way that life is. That's what quote unquote sin is in his book. Um, and that just even more so gets rid of the reason for Jesus. Absolutely. Like if there was no sin and everything is moralistic now, then there was no point for Jesus to come down. There was no point for him to live the perfect life that no one could. Like this is this even goes to say that Jesus, in all of his divinity and all of his manhood and everything that he was, was just a moralistically good person that everyone should achieve to be. Right. Not necessarily the unblemished lamb that would make sacrifice. Right. So what they're seeing Jesus is as basically like the archetype of moral good. Exactly. Rather than uh, the work of Jesus being, um, it is no longer substitutionary atonement what he's exactly. doing. He's just living a good life for you exactly. in order to model that so you can follow after his footsteps. Like the, like the, like the, uh, uh, like the motto of the liberal church is essentially, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. That is kind that's, you're towing the line there. And this is where I, I have found myself to be like, I, I remember a while back ago, this was, some, this was an idea in my head that was, I'm not saying that that's bad. And I'm not saying that the people that, that use that, um, uh, that motto or that phrase to be bad or that they're doing something wrong. But let's look at the intentions behind that. Exactly. Are we seeking to be to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus because, because we want to be good people or because that's what he called us to do in light of his atoning work in light of living in faith 
mm. in light of all of the doctrine, all of the theology that we know of Scripture, are we seeking to be the hands and feet of Jesus because of everything we know of Scripture or because we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps to be a good person, well, to be a good moral person? I mean, if it's the, if it's, if it's the latter, then... You're just a philanthropist, a, 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 philanthropist. a philanthropist at that yeah. point. You're no longer actually living out a life of righteousness and living out a life that is worthy of the gospel. Right. You are now just living out a life that is moralistically good. Well, I mean, this, this and it kind of, every time I think about that, it throws me back to Isaiah where even our best works are as filthy rags mm. so as much as i try to be a good person as much as i try to live a good life as as long as i try to be wholesome and 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 whatever and, and just be good in the in the eyes of the lord because you know it if we try to judge each other or compare each other amongst each other yeah there's scales of good there are scales there are delineating scales of good and bad yes i'm not as bad as hitler but when I start comparing myself to God, Oof. when God becomes the moral standard, mm. when God becomes the moral standard of holiness, and that is the, the H word that nobody likes to talk about. Nope. That's the H word that not a lot of people in the church like to throw around is holiness because we're not pursuing it. Mm. We rather pursue good works than pursue holiness. Why? Because pursuing holiness is difficult hmm. and this was the problem this is the problem of liberal uh of theological liberalism it doesn't submit to the authority and to the holiness of god mm -hmm. which jesus has called us into hmm. be holy as i am holy does that sound familiar even from the old testament we yeah. were hearing be holy as i am holy yeah well, if that's it's not be good as I am good. <laughs> Live out your morals as I am living out mine. <laughs> no, no, it's be holy as I am holy. And and really, it's you know, to to the new believer, they might automatically fall into that trap. Yes, because when when you look at liberalism and it's saying, well, you know. Scripture doesn't necessarily have authority. Scripture doesn't necessarily have authority over your life. It's it's really more just you know, uh, <laughs> the acronym uh, basic instructions before leaving Earth. Right. The Bible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can probably I can I can probably connect I can probably connect that one to liberalism because it's just you know be a good person until Jesus comes back. Well, that's not necessarily what he was calling us to do because, no. you know, you look at Matthew twenty eight, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you, teaching to observe all that I have taught you. Like, nowhere in there does it tell us that our mission in life is to be good, to live good morals, to, to satisfy our own whatever it is that you have in your own self that needs some type of affirmation outside of God. Like, it's literally saying... I need you to be a harvester. Right. I need you to teach people what scripture says. And if you're not going to teach people what scripture says, then you're falling into liberalism. 
you're saying you're you're it's kind of like cafeteria uh cafeteria faith you're walking in and you're picking up what you want and not picking up the stuff that you need Mm. Mm. that's good that's good I would never eat my vegetables from that cafeteria, bro. Oh, I ate the broccoli all the time. Those steamed veggies, dude. So I only good. ate the broccoli when it came with cheese. Bro, that's why they give it a little salt and pepper. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But you know what? It's absolutely true. We love to pick and choose what we want. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, that's what, you know, on top of that, it, it starts to decon. And this is where the whole deconstruction movement came absolutely. from. There's been a lot of people out there who have been quote unquote deconstructing their faith for this very reason for this very thing they have exchanged the truth for a lie absolutely and they will continue to do so over and over and over and what what ends up happening first is um they're they find a, a necessity for controversy mm-hmm Theological liberals love to look for controversy. They love to look for contradictory statements in the Bible. This doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Therefore, it must be wrong. Therefore, it has to be wrong. Therefore, I can... So if it's wrong, if you think it's wrong, then why are you following it? Mm. Why are you reading it? Mm. You're not a believer in it. Toss it to the side and live your own life. Or or the other side of that coin is... This doesn't fit my experience. Uh, oh, oh, that's a big one now. This the experience. This doesn't fit my experience well, because this doesn't fit my experience. Well, your discipleship program doesn't fit my experience. That theological liberalism is based on the human experience. Oh, absolutely. Not on the doctrinal experience of God. Mm-hmm. So that's why you have so many churches yeah. who will hype up the experience of a Sunday service. And then you actually get to the content of what the pastor is preaching and there's no depth. Yeah. There's no, there's, there's nothing there that is, uh, that is convicting the congregation to, to abandon their sins, to, to follow Christ, to really seek him and his kingdom first before all other things. Like you're looking at the experience of it and saying, well, as long as they felt good when they left here, Mm. As long as they were encouraged when they left here. Well, guess what? Sometimes, okay, sometimes encouragement is good. Sure. And scripture will do that. Right. But scripture is also going to cut you. Oh, absolutely. Because scripture is a double-edged sword. Yep. Because it's, also, it's, it's there to heal, but it's also there to prune. And if you're not pruning and healing, and you're only taking the things that are going to quote-unquote heal you or make you feel good about your life and so that you can go and you can go to live on Saturday or 11 on Saturday and walk into church on Sunday and feel good about yourself again, well, then guess what? You're falling into theological liberalism because now you have taken where Scripture says to flee sexual morality, Mm -hmm. to flee debauchery, to not be tied up in wine and 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 greed and all these other things but rather well i'm following jesus no you're not yeah <laughs> you're not following Je- it comes back to the rich young ruler hey i've done this i've done this i've done this i've done this what else do i need to gain eternal life right give up your riches and follow me right i can't do that come on so the steps here that theological liberals love to do is that they like to create controversy mm-hmm they like to find contra- controversy, 
both in the church and in scripture. Mm. So it, so part of that, they start to deconstruct doctrine. Mm. They try to start poking holes in it. And then what I love is in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 15, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, verse, verse 3. 3. Verse 3, <laughs> sorry. For this I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, mm. that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers mm. at one time, more of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Mm. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Mm. Speaking of Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am, with, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then, whether then it was I or they, so we preach so you believed. Mm. This, this is probably the text that will destroy any theological liberal. Yep. It validates the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it affirms the work of Christ with the apostles. Not only his atoning work, but has also his sending work. And then the work that proceeds out of a faith-filled life mm. and a life that submits to the authority of Scripture. Mm. Notice that he says here, in accordance with Scripture. In accordance with Scripture. He says that twice. That's what theological liberals also like to disconnect God and the people. Yep. They also like to disconnect Scripture. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness. Oh, I was going to hit him from verse 12 to 17. Do it. So check this out. So if, if, if you're ever feeling like you're falling into the trap of liberalism, of, blah, 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 of liberalism uh, or, or you just want to make sure that you are abiding by authority in scripture and by what scripture says. Check this out. Second Timothy three, 12 through 17. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived liberals. Uh, but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Mm. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for proof for correction and for training in righteousness. Verse 17. 
Go for this it. This is Hit what him. I love. And this, is, and this is the nail in the coffin of Hit liberalism. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good, good work. Praise the Lord. So, yes, the Lord does want you to do good works. Yes, the Lord does want you to seek out a righteous life. But not because of your own good. Mm. Not because he wants you to be a morally good mm. person. But because he says that by doing so and abiding by what scripture tells you, yep. not by your experience, yep. not by what, not by some philosopher who's telling you to think rationally. Come I know on. a lot of people who have fallen to fallen into now the stoic trap yep. recently that kind of goes into the, the same vein. Yep. But because when you abide by his word, when you're going by scripture that is breathed out by God that's profitable to you, you will be complete. Amen. Praise it's the Lord. Only by abiding by Scripture and what Scripture says that you will be complete, not by living a moralistic I life. I mean, that's that's such a consistent and congruent way to think about the doctrines that are taught that of the doctrine of Scripture. Absolutely, that's taught from Scripture. Absolutely. But check this out: from Scripture, the Lord even gives us. Um, how can I say this? He even gives us a warning in the Old Testament of what happens when people fall into theological liberalism. Hmm. This is not an idea that was constructed or something that 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 was cut, that it, this is not something that Immanuel Kant came up with. Absolutely not. This was not an idea that the Polish Unitarians came up with in 1605 because they rejected the Trinity. This is an idea that the Lord has been preparing and warning his people about even from the time of the judges. Oof. Judges 21 verse 25. This is the entire summation of everything that was going on in the judges during the period, excuse me, during the period of the judges. This is... This is essentially as backwards as this may sound. It is the last chapter, the last verse of the book of Judges, but this is the main idea of Judges. Give it to us. In, these in those days, there was no king in Israel. Hmm. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Oof. If you want to learn, if you want to understand what we're talking about here, go back and read the book of Judges. You will know. You will know exactly what's going on here. You'll know exactly why, why this book is summed up in this way. Why? Because everyone had turned away from the Lord. They turned, they, the priests started to try to do their own thing. They, they set up these idols and then they started selling these idols. Mm -hmm. Then they started you know, claiming that this idol was made by Moses' grandson and all this stuff. And <laughs> it just got so weird. There is no doubt in my mind. So, so originally, the book of Judges in, in the original Tanakh, um, in the original Hebrew scriptures, right. Judges and Ruth were, were essentially one book. Right. Ruth is basically the preface right before the kings. Yeah. It's the preface of what happens before, um, before Saul and before David, basically as an introduction to what happens when the Lord fulfills his Davidic covenant. Mm. When the Lord you know, brings and ushers in King David, 
well, actually King Saul first, and then King David, and then King Solomon, in order to establish authority within the people of God. Mm. To establish that authority, and so the people of God are able to look to their king and say, you know what? You're sovereign. You know what you're doing. Your word is sufficient. This is what theological liberalism hates. They, they hate looking at scripture and saying it's sufficient. God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. And this is what most of us fall into all the time. Whenever we are disobedient to the Lord, hmm. whenever we fall into sin, and more than that, whenever we try to justify, justify our sin, hmm. we're falling into theological liberalism. Why? Because we're saying that we know better than God does. And we do not want to submit to his authority. Absolutely not. Absolutely so, not. If you have been baptized, the biggest question that you get asked before you're dunked in those waters is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Mm. If you have and you said yes, remember his lordship over your life. Mm. Remember the authority that he has over your life through scripture. And remember that you have to abide by it. Amen. Don't fall into the trap of liberalism. And you know what's crazy? Right before they baptize you, what do they say? We baptize you in the name of the Father, the, the Son, Son, and, and the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Come on. The Trinity. Bro, I mean, we, we just embrace the Trinity. Embrace those tough doctrines that are hard to understand. Embrace them. Stop fighting them. Stop trying to get down to the root of it. Just embrace them. Stop trying to justify yourself. And mm. let the one who justified you justify you. Come on. Preach. We love you guys. Enjoy your Easter weekend. Happy Easter, everyone. Grace and peace.